Well, I was feeling good till you got start, started talking about my age. Now I'm depressed, amen. <laughs> I kind of feel like the uh, couple I heard about one time, <clears throat> she was 90 and he was 94, and they were going to get married. Again, she was 90 and he was 94, and so they had decided to get married. So they went into a drugstore, and they asked the farmer, said, do you carry walkers here? And he said, we do. He said, do you carry hearing aids? He said, we do. He said, do you carry, they said, do you carry blood pressure medicine? They said, we do. You carry heart medicine? And he said, we do. And they named all kinds of things, and he said, we got it all. And he, she, they said, well, good. We're thinking about using you for our bridal registry. Amen. So <clears throat> that's about the way I feel sometimes. <clears throat> well, it's good to be here. I, I really uh, appreciate this place. And, and for every church that's represented here tonight, uh, I have to speak to you individually because <clears throat> you all have been a blessing and uh, Charity Baptist, it's, it's so good to be back with you. Uh, I was thinking today, it's been three years, and uh, COVID, and uh, it's been three years since I've been able to get here. You've been able to have your missions conference, and, and it's so good to be back. And I've enjoyed meeting your new pastor. Uh, he reminds, from here up, from here up, he reminds me of your old pastor, but I, I love Brother Kevin. And appreciate him so much. And uh, But Charity Baptist, uh, you'll never know this side of heaven how much we appreciate you. We know, and one thing that, uh, that being on the mission field uh, it, that I have experienced is there have been times in our life when we knew somebody was praying. We, we could sense that. And we knew somebody was calling our name out to God. Just a few weeks ago when we had the issue with the tribe, uh, we knew that night, and we got calls and texts and everything from all over the country, and we knew our name had been carried to God hundreds and hundreds of times that particular night. But there are times that we have sensed somebody's praying for us. And I know that Charity Baptists, I know you pray for us, and we appreciate it. And And the things you've done for us over the years and and the part that you have played in our ministry, it's, uh, there's no way we could say thank you enough. Uh, the times that you've been there for Christmas and help us with Christmas distribution, you'll never know what an asset that is. And uh, all the many, many, many things, I could, I could never name them all. And we, I want you to know, you are cherished, and uh, we give thanks to God and every remembrance of you and you are very special many of you and we appreciate it and then of course victory baptist brother philip uh, we've had some of the folk there and we appreciate brother philip and and the folks from victory uh, you've been a blessing to us and shady grove we appreciate you and uh, we even appreciate brother david i, I do <laughs> i got him today he's always picking on me he'll call me say i I'm going to thump your head or something. It's always something he's called me about. But we went into Lowe's today, and he was buying something. So I walked up to the cash register, 
And I said, is that that credit card you found in the parking lot? And, uh, and the lady said, what? And David said, he's just causing trouble. But I got him. You had to see his face there. But, but I appreciate the folk from Shady Grove. And you were out one year. And it was such a joy to have you. And uh, so many of you have been out on the reservation. And we have certainly enjoyed having you on the reservation. And uh, we appreciate it, appreciate it so much and appreciate you. Again, we thank God for you so much. We know this. I could not be there. I, we could not do what we do if it were not for others. And we do not take that lightly. And I hope that I never come across as taken for granted uh, those that God has put into our life because we could not do what we do if it wasn't for others. And so from the very depths of our heart, uh, to all of you, regardless of how you have helped us and what part you play individually or as a church or whatever, uh, please know it is from the depths of our heart. And uh, for many of you, you have seen what your giving has, has accomplished and for some of you, you have it, but you will one day. And uh, you'll be amazed at when we get to heaven and uh, the lives that have been touched. I think about each one of them, and every one of them is a story. Uh, I think about a fellow that got in about two years ago. His name is Don Brings Plenty, B-R-I-N-G-S, Brings Plenty. And so... In one of our services, our missions conference a few weeks ago, one of our guest preachers asked him his name, and he misunderstood him and said he thought he said, Don drinks plenty. <laughs> and I love, and he, and he, and he re, answered, he, he said, What's your name? And he thought he said, Don drinks plenty. He said, Don drinks plenty. And I love Don's answer. He said, Oh, no, 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 that's my old name. He said, That's my old name. <laughs> He said, it's Don Brings Plenty. And I love that answer. Uh, he come to me. He was just laughing, telling me about it. But uh, everyone's a story, and you are a part of it. So to each one of you, we thank you. I told your pastor, I think this past year, we came out of COVID just like everybody else did. It hit us a little later than it hit most everybody back here in the East it wasn't really into, until October of 20 that it really hit us on the reservation. And when it did, it really hit us hard. And um, as many of some of you have been there, you went through our checkpoints. They actually closed our reservation down for almost two years, about two and a half years that we had the checkpoints. And uh, for about a year and a half, almost two years, if you were not a tribal member or a tribal resident we are considered tribal residents because we live on the reservation then you you couldn't get on the reservation they would turn you around and uh, we were able through certain avenues to get a few people on during that period of time but and we even had a few times when it, the, the cases really blossomed that uh, they totally shut the reservation down that we couldn't even leave the reservation because you have to understand a reservation is a nation within a nation. And uh, they, um, they have to abide by federal law, but then they have their own laws and they have their own government. And uh, unless they're violating anything federal, they can, 
establish any kind of law they want to. And so we're forced to abide by not only our state laws and our federal laws, but by tribal laws as well. And so it really affected us. And, uh, but we've come through that, and I feel like we've come out of it much, much stronger than before. And when everybody was looking at it and they thought how devastating this was going to be, I thought, you know, God can take all of this and use it uh, to help us and to uh, even take the darkness of the whole thing and, and bring and turn it into blessing. And he did in our case, and we came out of it much stronger, and the people did. And uh, this has probably been, I told your pastor, Brother Kevin, I said, I think this is the best year we have had. And the growth that we have seen in the people and the things that we see going on in the church, it's, it's, it's been a good year. And uh, so I come tonight, I've got nothing to complain about and uh, no whining. All I can do is just give thanks to God for all the things that he has done. And I appreciate you praying for us. I pray for Sherry, you all that know her, <clears throat> you know that she, she is a jewel in herself and, and uh, she's a hard worker. She has got to have knee surgery. She's got a torn meniscus. So we go next week when I get back to find out what all that's going to be involved. So she's greatly concerned about that because she knows it's going to take her out for a few weeks. And she don't want to do that because she don't stop. You that know her, she goes from daylight to dark. And uh, But she needs to get that taken care of. So be praying for her. And I need to get her done before winter. Winter will be here soon. And I got to have her healed up and ready to shovel snow. So we got, so you pray for and uh, get her. The Indian, the young people and all, they, I tease her all the time about uh, having to shovel snow and all that kind of stuff. And so they, the Indian kids, they just laugh about that and tease me about it. And if I talk about something that needs to be done, they always say, Miss Sherry going to be doing that? Miss Sherry going to be doing that? And, uh, but do pray for it because uh, it'll, it'll put her back for a couple of weeks, a few weeks at least, four or five weeks. And, and uh, so we're trying to work around that all during the Christmas season. But uh, she's fought it so long that we want to get it done, taken care of. So, but remember her in prayer. I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> and I appreciate Brother Wilson. That was, that was great. I, I do. I've enjoyed the fellowship with him since I've been here. And enjoyed talking to him and learning more about his culture. And it's just been encouragement. And we'll be praying for you, Brother Wilson. We promise you. Uh, let's stand as we honor the reading of his word. I want us to look at Acts chapter 1. It's a very familiar passage. And so I want us to look at it tonight. There's nothing new here. But then again, we don't always have to have anything new. Uh, one thing I learned about the native people on the reservation that I work with is that it's, everything was new to them. So I, it's, it's a constant process of repeating the same simple little things and uh, putting that in them and keeping putting that in them until it becomes a part of them. And so there's nothing new here that I'll share with you tonight, but yet I pray the Spirit of God will bring it with freshness to all of our hearts. The book of Acts begins with the words, the former treatise, chapter 1, Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began? 
And that's a very important word. Of all that he began. His work is not over. He said all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up. After that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion or his death by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then being and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And look at his response. And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which a father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Thank you. You may be seated. I want us to look at what I won't simply call final commands. Final commands. Let's pray. And Father, tonight it is such a joy, such an honor to be back at charity, such a joy and honor to have the churches that are represented here tonight. All of them have their own special and unique place in our hearts. And it's such a joy, and I thank you again for allowing us to be able to be together as we are tonight. Thank you for every song that has been sung, for the testimony that has been given. Thank you for what you're doing for our spiritual family in India. Thank you for those like Brother Wilson that you have called and have raised up to take the gospel to his own people. Continue to bless there. We ask you, Lord, now that in these nights and this mission conference that you would speak to us and that we would hear you spare us from just going through a few services, but work in our heart, deposit into our life truths that will impact not only our own lives, but literally bear fruit to the conversion of hundreds around the world. Thank you again for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 1, we find the Lord Jesus and the final hours that he spent with his disciples. The final hours while he was on earth that he had spent with the men that he had called and trained. And when you read in Acts chapter 1, you find that he gave them certain commands. 
commands that they were to obey, commands they were to follow. In verse 2, it talked about how that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Also in verse 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded them. So what you see here in Acts chapter 1 is the final commands that our Lord gave to his disciples. These commands would become their marching orders. These commands were to give them the final instructions what they were to do after he was gone. You could call that his words or his commands were words of revelation because he's revealing to them what his purpose is. He is revealing to them what his will is. So there is words, these commands are words of revelation. But they were also words of regulation. Because what he says to them and the things he commanded them to do was to regulate their lives for the rest of their life. It was not only revealing what he wanted them to do, but these commands were to regulate who they were and to regulate what they do. And of course, as always, his commands called for their complete compliance and total obedience. Because you understand tonight that our Lord's commands are never up for discussion. And they are never up for debate. We don't have business meetings to decide whether we are going to obey what God's word said. No, we don't vote on that. That's settled. Whatever God says, that's it. And his word and his commands are never for our discussion. They're never for our debate. They're never for even for our review and to, for us to make the decision, will I do what he wants me to do? No, his commands are final. And when he commands these disciples in Acts chapter 1, again, he's telling them what he wants them to do and the commands are to regulate their life for the rest of their life. I submit unto you that the commands that he gave his disciples here in his final moments are as relevant to you and me tonight as they were to, to the disciples that he gave them to. That what he said to them, because of divine inspiration, they had been recorded in the Bible so that they speak to us the same way they spoke to the disciples. Really, by having these words in the Bible, he's telling us to do the same thing. He has given you and me the same commands tonight. And the commands that he gave involved the work that they were to do. Verse 1, I emphasized a moment ago how it spoke of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. You see, his death and resurrection and even his ascension back to heaven did not end his work. It was to continue on. And now that which he had started, he is now transferring. And that which he had began, he is now entrusting to his disciples. And the same thing is true tonight, that what he began both to do and teach, he has entrusted every one of us 
to do the same thing and to continue what he began. So here is a work that they were to do. Here is a work that we are to do. But I find it interesting. This is his final commands. So what does he say to us in these final commands? Let me point them out and and I'll be very brief. You notice first of all that he spoke to them about the power by which they must be filled. There is the power by which they must be filled. He said in verse 4, we read, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. That promise he defines in verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 8, he said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. In our Lord's final commands with the disciples in the final moments that he spent with them, he talked to them about the role and the place the Holy Spirit would play in their life and in the work that he was giving them to do. Reminding us of the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We Baptists are scared to death to mention the Spirit of God. But I submit unto you tonight, it is all in vain if the Spirit of God does not bless and touch what we do. And the Lord was reminding His disciples of the power by which they must be filled. You look a little closer at the text and you see the nature of the Spirit's work. The nature of the Spirit's work in verse Five, he talked about how John baptized with water. But he said to the disciples, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. I don't want to get into an argument with anyone here. But what he was speaking about was a work of inclusion. How that being baptized, the word is the same word we would use to speak of baptizing someone. As a Baptist, we baptize by immersion because the word baptize means to immerse, to place within. So when we baptize, we don't sprinkle. We place into the water. We immerse into the water. And so when he was describing the work of being baptized, He's talking about how that they would become a point that the Holy Spirit would immerse them or put them into the body of Christ. It would be a work of inclusion. I find it interesting that as I read through the Bible that nowhere do you find the Bible commanding us to be baptized with the Spirit. Because the word here and the tense of the word indicates that this is a work done by God and by God alone. And the tense is that it is a one-time thing. For you and I, the moment we put our faith in Christ, He baptized us. He immersed us. He put us into the body of Christ. Therefore, being baptized by the Spirit of God is not something I seek It's already happened to me. It is a work of inclusion. 
But he also, you see, not only the nature of the Spirit's work, but he also emphasized the need of the Spirit's work. For he tells them that he will baptize them with the Holy Ghost. And they would receive power from the Holy Ghost. But I find it very interesting. He said, you don't go anywhere until. He tells them to wait. He talked about in verse 4, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart. He has given them a great work to do, but he says, before you ever commence, before you ever get started, there is something that is absolutely essential for you. Wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we know Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, is when that occurred. And he's telling them in verse 5, they're going to be baptized, placed into something by the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, but something's going to come upon them as well. There was not only a work of inclusion that took place, they were put into something, but there was a work of infilling that took place. There was the power that was so critical to them doing the work that came upon them on the day of Pentecost. And he says to them, before you ever start, you wait. Don't you go out on your own. Don't try to do this by yourself. You wait until the Spirit of God comes upon you. So in this final moment, I find it interesting that he commands them concerning the power whereby they must be filled, reminding us of the absolute necessity of the Spirit of God touching us and helping us and infilling us. The simple truth is tonight, That it's not what you and me can do. It is what he does. And the truth is, it's what he only can do. And if we work, if we do not have his touch upon our life, there will be absolutely nothing of eternal value that will happen through our lives. We have become masters of motivating the flesh in our day and time. We know how to encourage. We know how to motivate. We know how to incite. We know how to work up the old Adam. We know how to entertain. But it's much more than just getting people excited. The Spirit of God, if He does not touch what we do, we might as well fight back the tide with a pitchfork. Nothing is going to be done. It's like the old song, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. It doesn't matter whether you teach a Sunday school class or you work on a mission field. If there's going to be anything happen, it's essential that the Spirit of God touches what we do. It's essential that He fills us. And being filled is not an experience. Being filled, like be ye filled with the Spirit of God in Ephesians 5. That verb filled there was a word that was used to to describing something under the control of another. It's a word that was often used to describe the wind that would feel the sails of a ship. You think about a ship and a ship that had been built and it had been designed with a purpose in mind, maybe to transport passengers 
or maybe to carry cargo. It had been built to, with a purpose and a reason in mind. But it was absolutely helpless to fulfill its purpose until the wind filled that sails. And there is our life and what God has for us. But until he takes control of our life, fills our life, dominate our life, we will never do that which we have been called to do. It's not me. It's not you. It's not our personalities. It's not our programs. It's not even our degrees. It's not anything about you and me. The truth is, you and me have got to die and get completely out of the picture so that it's what he does with our lives. I see people getting upset about this. Was well, so-and-so hurt my feelings? And I say, well, bless your heart. I'm so sorry they hurt you. But the truth of the matter is, the reason you are bothered about what they said is the old flesh has not been crucified we die. You say, if you are dead, then nothing doesn't matter. It's not an issue how you feel. It's not an issue how you think. A dead man doesn't feel. A dead man doesn't think. A dead man has no response. And being dead means that the Spirit of God is now in charge of our life. And that's what we need so much in this day and time. Again, we're spending so much energy trying to motivate the flesh. And we're building and raising up carnal believers and shallow believers when the only one that will do a work in a life is, is the blessed Spirit of God as He works in our lives. I've learned that on the reservation. That it's not all of my little cliches and it's not all of my personalities. That won't work on the reservation. It may work in some atmospheres to get somebody excited and whatever. But God has to touch it if anything's going to happen. True here, any church. And I find it interesting that one of the last things he commanded them was you don't do anything until the Spirit of God touches what you do. Second of all, he not only spoke to them about the power by which they must be filled, but here's the emphasis he also spoke to them about the priority in which they must be focused. There was the power that must fill them, but there was the priority that, much, that must consume them. Look in verse 6. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Now you understand where they're coming from. They still fully didn't comprehend the full meaning of his death and resurrection. They were still looking for the Messiah. And they, he's now risen from the dead confirming that he was that Messiah. And so in their mind they're thinking now it's time for him to set up his kingdom. So they're thinking about kingdom. They're thinking in kingdom terms or as you and I would think about it. Him coming back or his return. They're thinking in that way. And so they're saying, Lord, is it now the time that you're going to set up a kingdom upon the earth and rule and reign over the earth? And I find it very interesting that his response was simply this. It's not for you to know. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons 
which the Father put in his own power. And in making that statement, he immediately refocused them. He immediately turned their thoughts in another direction. It's like he said to them, you don't worry about when I set up my kingdom. This is what's to be the priority of your life. He said, not the future, but right now. This is the thing that you are to focus upon. This is the thing that I am calling you for. This is the thing that is to consume you. He said, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. It's like our Lord was saying to him, this is the priority of your life. Not when I set up my kingdom. This is to be your priority. This is to be your focus. This is what should consume you. Being my witness. There is the witness they are to be in verse 8. The word witness that he uses is a legal term. In our thinking, our Western culture, we would think of someone being subpoenaed to testify in court. Now, if you get a subpoena to show up in court to give a testimony, they're not going to subpoena you to talk about something you have no knowledge of. The idea behind a witness is to be able to speak about what you know, what you have seen, or what you have heard, or what you have experienced. And being a witness, someone says, Oh, Brother Ken, I wish I could be a witness. Well, you can. I don't know anybody here that can't be a witness. We say, I don't know how to go through Romans Road. That's, that's not what I said. I didn't mention any soul winning program. I said everybody here can be a witness. Because a witness is simply telling people what happened to you. There was a day when he saved you. There was a day when you were lost and on your way to hell. But by the grace of God, he saved you and gave you a new life. You tell him what happened. You tell him how sorry you was, but one Sunday morning, God saved you. Tell him that's what being a witness is all about. You're testifying about what's happened in your life. Thank God something has happened in our lives. Amen. But he, there he, is, he said, I want you to be a witness. I want you to go out and tell everyone what I did for you. I want you to tell them how I saved you, how I changed your life. That is what being a witness is about. I appreciate tools to help us communicate our testimony and to be able to witness. But the simple truth is being a witness is just telling people what he did for you. And he said, we are to be witnesses. There is the witness we are to be, but there is the work we are to do. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, empower you, enable you to be a witness. And he said, you are to be a witness unto me both in Judea or Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that word uttermost literally means the remotest part of the earth. They said, will you restore the kingdom again? He said, fellas, don't worry about that. This is to be your focus. This is to be your priority. 
Go to the earth everywhere, to even to the remotest part of the earth and tell everybody you can and reach every person you can and let them know what I have done for them. That is the work that is to consume you. That is the work that is to be the priority of your life. And may I say to you tonight, that is what missions is all about. That is what serving God is all about. Trying to get people saved. Telling them what Christ has done for them. Going to everyone, everywhere. And telling them what Jesus has done for us. And what he can do for them. I've often been asked, I don't know how many times. Brother Ken, how in the world did you ever end up on a reservation? I was a pastor in Chattanooga for 30 some years. Absolutely content, comfortable. I had no need for anything else in my life. Wasn't looking for anything in my life, else in my life. I mean, I had all the things that a pastor would ever dream about having them. Over the years, we'd seen what God had done. And, and it, it was just, I mean, I was in a place where that I would have been out of my mind. For any other reason to ever think about leaving where I was at. I mean, I was living a very comfortable life. Living a very uh, easy life. Uh, I mean, it was a situation that any pastor would ever dream of. But a pastor, a missionary out west, he came through on a Sunday night. And he worked on the Wind River Reservation in Wyoming. I didn't know anything about Indians or Native Americans. All I knew was from what I knew in history. You mention Indians to me, I think of Geronimo. You mention Indians to me, I think of Sitting Bull or uh, Crazy Horse or the Little Big Horn. Or that's that. My mind always connected to them in a historical context. And I found it fascinating. And I asked him all kinds of questions. He worked with the Shoshone and the Arapaho there on Wind River. And he said to me, he said, why don't you come out? He said, we're going to hold a tent meeting on the Hickorya Apache Reservation in New Mexico. Or not Hickorya, but the Mescalera Apache Reservation in New Mexico. He said, we're going to have a tent meeting in June, he named the date there, and he said, why don't you come out and preach in it? And I said, oh, I'd be glad to. And I confess to you, it was more a captivation in going west again. My wife and I had driven out west and absolutely fell in love with it. And so to be invited to go back again, I jumped at that opportunity. But he said, we're going to have a tent meeting with the intention of getting a church started there on that reservation. Why don't you come out and preach in that tent meeting? And I said, I would. I went to the tent meeting. And I, as I said, to confess to you that my interest was greater about going back west again. More than it was uh, preaching on the reservation. I really didn't give that a whole lot of thought. I was thinking about, you know, seeing this and seeing that again. But I can't begin to tell you how from the time I got there, how God began to grip my heart. I've been as a pastor 
there in Chattanooga, we had families that were out of the church that were on the mission field. We had a family in uh, uh, Costa Rica. We had a family in Nicaragua. We had a family in Nigeria. We had a family in the Philippines. We, and I would often visit our mission families as their pastor. Every two or three years, I'd try to go and spend some time with them and see them and things. So I'd been to a lot of different fields. And I'd never been to a field that my heart was not moved by what I saw on that field. I'll be honest with you, I never sat on a tarmac getting ready to leave that I didn't say, Lord, if you want me to come here, uh, Lord, I, I'll be willing to come. I was always moved anytime I went to the mission field. I was always open to going there. But this time, I can't begin to put in words how that my heart was gripped by the need I saw. I looked into faces and saw in eyes an emptiness that I had never seen in any other people that I'd ever been around. I saw a hopelessness in their eyes that I had never sensed in anyone else's eyes or people I'd been around. And from the day I got there, I mean, I was just gripped by the need that I saw. And I would be learned that the days it was that was learning more about them. I was seeing them not in a historical context, but I was beginning to see the native people as they were in the present. What we were doing, there was they had there the big rodeo grounds, and right next to it was their ceremonial grounds. They were having the ceremony that particular time where young ladies were. Uh, the ceremony where they became women. That was a ceremony that uh, we had no access to because we were not native. But we did have access to the rodeo. So what we were doing is we were working the rodeo grounds during the daytime and we were passing out flyers. The tent was about a mile up the road. And so we were just handing out flyers to, flyers to everybody and we were saying, we're holding a tent meeting up here. We're having hot dogs and hamburgers around 6 o'clock and services and just inviting people to come to the tent meeting. Well, I grew up in the mountains in North Carolina. All of our cows up there had legs shorter on one side than the other. I mean, we had no fences or whatever. It was all hills. I'd never been to rodeo in my life. I'd never been around a rodeo. I mean, I'd never seen one. So one afternoon, I thought, I'm going to take a little while off, and I'm going to watch the rodeo. So I climbed up in the stands. The stands was absolutely packed. Native Americans love rodeos. I mean, the people that I work with, they love rodeos. It's just a part of who they are, a horse and that kind of culture. So I sit down up there in the stands, and I sit down among uh, the native people, the Apache people. This was the Mescalera Apache. I sit down in the stands and there was a little girl sitting beside me. Now, she couldn't have been more than eight years old. Big, dark, button eyes. Cutest thing you can ever imagine. I later learned that that was her grandfather sitting with her. And I sit down beside him and I was watching the rodeo. Well, I had my little digital camera, and I was snapping a picture. 
And she pulled at my arm and wanted to see the picture that I had taken. And I showed it to her. Her little old face just lit up and, and whatever. And I said, I'll take your picture. And I snapped that little Apache girl's picture. Still have that picture. And I showed it to her. And she was, and you, know, you know how you got the digital camera and turn around and see the picture on the screen? I showed it to her and it absolutely fascinated her. And she wanted my camera. I thought, I'm not an Indian giver. But anyway, I, she wanted my camera. And uh, so I finally handed the little girl my camera. She took pictures of everything. Feet and uh, uh, top uh, ceiling and every bird, sky, the whole nine yards, everything but the rodeo. But anyway, I was sitting there watching her snap pictures with my camera. And God all of a sudden spoke to my heart and said, who's going to tell her about me? And who's going to tell her grandfather about me? Who's going to tell her people about me? I went back to the tent that night and I preached. When we got through, I, I, w- I just said, you want to come, you come. And I was the first one who went to the altar. And I got on my face and it wasn't so much that I asked God to let me. I pleaded with him to send me. I said, Lord, please send me. Let me come. My heart was so moved about the need. I was so moved about the people. I begged him that night to let me go. I knew what it would cost to go. I knew that it would mean leaving my church. I knew that it would mean leaving my family. I knew that it would mean leaving my grandchildren. I knew what it would involve. But I cannot tell you how my heart was so moved as the Spirit of God said, Who's going to tell her about me? You see, that's what missions is about tonight. That's what Acts chapter 1 is about. Jesus said, All these other things. Let's just forget those right now. Here's the one thing I want you to give your life to. Here's the one thing I want you to be consumed with. Be my witnesses and take my name and my gospel to those that have not heard. Ellie Maxwell said, the world is indeed a sinking ship. And that's our supreme task to get as many in the lifeboat as possible, as soon as possible. Why do you go? It's about those that need to know about Him. Why do you give? Why do you take your hard-earned dollars? When the truth is, every one of us need every penny we can get our hands on. We work hard and everything is just getting higher and higher and the dollar is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Why would we even stop and consider taking money that we all need so badly and giving it to a missionary? It's not just for a missionary. It's that there are those that need to know about him. 
And there are those who have not heard. And somebody must go. And somebody must give that they may know. Jesus said, this is what I want you to live your life for. This is what I want you to give my life to that others may know about me. This is to be the priority of your life. And can I say to you what he told the disciples to do? He said, don't go until I give you what you need to go. But here's what I want you to do when you get when the Spirit of God comes upon you. You give your life. You eat, sleep, breathe the matter of trying to get people saved. That is what the gospel is about. That's what missions is about. That's why we give. It's why we have mission conferences. Because it's all about people come to the reservation. And it's so easy to have sympathy for the people. You that have been there, the children win your heart. I mean, you that have been there at Christmas and you've helped put new boots on their feet and you put new coats on them, and uh, you all, you all, some of you were there when Devin come in, his shoes falling apart, and, and we put new boots on him. I still got his old shoes in a plastic bag. They were so pitiful. I think some of you were there, and we put new boots on his feet and put a new coat and uh, a new bargain on his head and all those things. They win your heart. You know that. And it's so easy. To just, oh, they're so pitiful. They have so many needs. It is so easy to have sympathy. And I appreciate the sympathy. But if they do not hear about Christ, they will die in their sins and go to hell. It's about getting the gospel to them and caring about them. That's what Jesus said. That's what you live for. It's not living for what you have. It's living that others may know about me. That's what missions, that's what this missions conference is about. That's why on Sunday, your pastor will challenge you with your giving. It's about doing the thing our Lord commanded us to do. And God forbid the day. Oh, he said, I don't, I don't know why we get all involved in this missions. Because he told us to get involved. Oh, I don't know why we do all of that. It's because when he went away, the last thing he said is that you make this the priority of your life. You make sure that the world, even the remotest parts of the world, hear what I've done for them. That's missions. Let's stand our feet, please. Thank you for listening. I'm going to ask your pastor to come and close this however he would want you to do so. Thank you for listening. And in this opening night, maybe you just want to slip out of your seat and come and say, Lord, give me a heart for the world. My, I may never get to go around the world, but give me a heart for what your heart is. To live that others may know you. To care about others. May the Spirit of God help us to be always mindful of why we've been left in this world to tell others about him. Pastor, you come. Thank you.